Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, we have Georgia Tech assistant coach James Ramsey. Joining me in this episode is former hitting intern Nick Askew. Nick is now the director of player development and operations at Georgia Tech. One of the questions I always got after inventing the spinner arm care tool was, how do I use this? So I came up with the foundations of throwing online course. This is just a one-hour mini course uh, outlining not only how you can implement the spinner or how we use the spinner on our training floor, but how you can develop a full arm care throwing program uh, to get the most out of the players on your team, the players in your gym. Uh, this is just your get started guide uh, with throwing programs and arm care. Go check out that course on my website, chadlongworthonline.com. I'll put the link in the description. If you like this episode and would like instant access to all of the roundtable discussions, you can join LPD Plus. It's an online coaching community filled with these discussions as well as drill videos, uh, sample programming, anything for the curious-minded coach that's looking for better ways to train hitters, pitchers, baseball, and softball. I don't know if you know Nick. Ramsey said he's watched some of the videos, Nick, some of the some of the yeah. roundtables. That, that I have, man. Some of the catching articles I've been passing on, so yeah. uh, admiring from afar for sure. So yeah, Nick, well, it's great to meet you, man. Nick, Nick is uh, was a, was a volley at BG Bowling Green, so he's been going through that whole whirlwind of we got a team, we don't have a team, and now we do have a team. So I we're scheduled to play each other. I haven't seen. Yes, yes, we were because Coach Hall did tell me in that process because I've we you know I kind of have a little bit of a hand in scheduling, but. Uh, I know I think he was trying to replace that game and then I don't know that he has. So that's a, that's a good problem to have a veteran head coach that goes last minute, you know, not yeah. four years out. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I've not seen Nick as much lately. He's had a lot on his plate uh, here in the last couple of weeks. And on that. And then we've got uh, another kid on here, Andrew Williams. Andrew is a student at Virginia tech. He is a, Andrew, I never get your I never get your major right. Business, yeah, uh, BIT, business information technology, business information yeah. technology. He doesn't really want a real job, so he's trying to figure out how he can curtail that degree into baseball. And so he's just trying to to tag along and and hear um, how people are using technology, how people are integrating technology, what they're doing, all that good stuff. So, love it. I guess the first things first, this is funny because we talked about this the other night and we always, you watch these things. So you, we always kind of try to start out with like a, with like a lighthearted question is that since you've been quarantined at home, is there any Netflix TV show that you have liked that you maybe missed in busy time of the season and practice and all that other stuff? Man, with an eight-month-old running around, uh, you know, so he's starting to move. So it's a, yeah. I've, I'll say this: this is the lighthearted man. Like uh, I always prided myself on being a hard worker and physically, you know, fit. It's a different level of fatigue, man, chasing around a little oh, kid. Um, no. And I, so I got hit with that smack in the face here. Uh, he wasn't really even hardly crawling at no. you know whatever four or five months, and now he's standing up, moving and. So that's uh that's been yep. taking up a big chunk of the time. That but. goes, you know, they're 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 cuddly and cute. You can hold them and then they start moving and it's like all hands on deck all the time. And they're crawling and then they go to walking and standing up on stuff. Like you got that 
you got that yep, shelf yep. up there behind you. Yep. You better be careful with that. Like it's, it's oh, like, dude, I've got the foam, you know, I was bringing yeah. out, like I used to, I didn't want to pay for, you know, a $400, uh, bat, you know, uh, bag. So I would just put foam in the minor league ones, you know, and just yep. deal with it. And so I've been pulling all that out, putting it on the fireplace and, yep. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. which is probably a good segue into why I'm here. Cause it's the king of functionality. I mean, Chad just, you know, met at ABCA a couple of years ago. Um, I'm always been looking for good people in the industry. And, and so it's really good that I know you and I keep messing around about spending time and, and we're both busy. So now this yep. is that, that time, man. So yep. it's going to be pretty organic. I'm going to be asking probably as many questions as for sure. You for sure. That's, me, kind so. of, that's kind of what we did. That's kind of what we do. Um, it's funny because when you were jumping on, we, we were talking about, we were talking about weighted bats and we were talking about weighted bat application. And I don't know if you got a chance to watch the Mark Spencer roundtable, but but he had some interesting thoughts about weighted bats. And I've been a weighted bat guy for not my entirety, but like as I started to discover technology and you start to dig on these things, weighted bats have became a really integral part about the way we go about things. But here more recently, um, we've had we've had one player, he's a rising senior, he's a catcher. He's got some interesting um, – he's just got some interesting needs, I guess, in, as a player. Um, and so we're starting to get even more granular on weighted bats and, and the application of weighted bats. And what we were talking about, you know, I'm a huge fan now. I don't know if you're using them. I don't know if you've got the axe bat, long bat, short bat. Yeah, we do. Love it. Uh, we've got that. And then – you know, we've got the inload, unload, obviously the underload, obviously, and then we've got that. We we built that um, the counter loaded counter bat. It's like a sw- it's like a heavy bat. It's weighted six ounce on the knob and three ounce on the end, but it's swing. It's balanced in the middle, so it's like swing balance, but heavy. Yep. And there was a there was a uh, I remember with uh, when I was with Cleveland. Um, I was hitting with Kipnis a lot, and he was using one that was there was a brand you know to come out of spring training and. Dude, I feel like they were, you know, giving us like 60 ounce bats and yeah. you could just go through your whole routine and not ever think anything of it. And that was my first like one of those aha moments of because I, I remember, you know, and I jump around a bunch too. So like I remember growing up with my dad, who was the the hitting coach for me and very looking back, external focused. Mm-hmm. And he had some old bats that had gained moisture over the years and handed them to me. And that was kind of my weighted bat training back then. But I never knew kind of what was happening but as a probably 14 to 15 16 year old hitter when I really started making those elite jumps I was in a really good training environment but I had no idea I was just hey hit a line drive over the you know shortstop's head as a left-handed hitter do it with this 34 34 you know like and just would pick it up and try to just smash balls and I think that if I was measuring, you know, on a, on a blast back then, or I was being measured at PG, whatever, I think I would have made some of those jumps. And, um, where, so I think where, that's, where did you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in the Atlanta area, just North Atlanta. Okay. Um, okay. So you were outside a, a lot. You were, you were fortunate to be outside. A good yeah. I was football, football, basketball, baseball, and tennis all the way through high school too at a wow. good a- a- athletic high school, smaller private school, but, um, was around, I want to say, let me think we had an NBA first rounder in my 108 in my wow. graduating class, NBA first rounder, MLB first rounder, 
actually no two NBA first rounders. So that's part of when I transitioned out of basketball. I mean, yeah. we had D one D one didn't know that they'd both be NBA first rounders to this day, but I think that was one of the things too, that we were constantly winning and driving and just trying to I mean, compete in anything we could do. Um, but went there and then went down and played for Mike Martin, who my dad was on his, he was the captain of the first team Mike Martin had on that, you know, 40 something year run. So, yeah. you know, that was part of my journey going down there. And people always ask about, man, Florida State, the secret sauce and, you know, recruiting guys now on the trail or tell me how, you know, plate discipline. I'm like, dude, it's the most old school. But but like Mike Martin had his he never let the, you know, going back to first principles of hitting to kind of tie it in what, you know, I've heard you speak on like he never let his priorities get out of whack. It was, if you get a good pitch to hit and you hit a line drive, you're going to be a really good hitter. Um, and that's people ask the recipe for 40 something wins for 40 something years. I truly think that they got the best out of what they thought was a good baseball player. And that was different than maybe what other programs might've thought they valued. Um, but I think it was really interesting. The more I've learned to read talent code and you're looking at these things, I'm like, man, people get on him for talking about hitting a line drive off the top of the L screen. I'm like, that was kind of the beauty that was Mike Martin. So um, that was kind of the college career and then five pro organizations in seven and a half years. And I, you know, I didn't know as a player, it was frustrating as heck <laughs> getting bounced around and but like knowing now of where I'm at as a coach, there was so many different ideas I was exposed to and I was a note taker and I was always a curious observer of things. And so that's kind of what I think is, got me to where I'm at now of just continuing to ask questions of people that I know are smarter than me. Um, and that's what I've just always been like, Hey man, if there's low hanging fruit in the college game that the pro game has already found out, then let's cut out the work and let's just implement some of that stuff at our level. For sure. For sure. You know, that's, that's kind of how we cross paths through, you know, JD introduced us and then curious people attract curious people. That's what I like about Nick. Uh, that's that's what Andrew's got going for him and just try to surround myself with those people um so one of the things that we've talked about um with the other with a couple of the other guys that are in college game which I think is really awesome is like how they're implementing like team managers you know do you guys are you guys you know are you are you starting to integrate those team managers they've been talked about um because they don't have a lot of tech they don't have a whole lot of tech. And so how they're charting, you know, they're, how they're charting hitters and how they're, they're charting everything and basically having a, a data-driven approach without having much technology, which I thought was awesome. Obviously, I was doing some amazing things with team managers. I interact with Monty a lot, and, and he's doing some things with team managers. And so do you guys have student managers, and, and, and are you using them to, to collect data and do things with them? Yeah. So, you know, I remember we got to be on the cutting edge. Well, well that, that's the thing, right? When I took the job and I was at Florida state for a couple months before yeah, that, um, heard on, by the way. Yeah. I love it. Love it. So, you know, that I, Oh, that's awesome. Shout out Clyde Keller for sure, yeah. man. So, um, I get to Florida state and Clyde and I, you know, quickly, uh, you know, I started spending more time in his office and, you know, we started talking about, and this is, this is like, you can't make this story up. So, you know, 11 to this day, I've used an umbrella 10 times in his office about that angle 
and explaining it and he gets it, but he doesn't, but yeah. he does. And I'm like, no, it's like this, but yeah, it is like that, but it's like this. I'm like, no, but anyways, I digress. Um, and even there, like they had, they had a lot more student managers, whether it was from a funding perspective, but they were like baseball heavy guys. And then when I get to tech, we had just installed TrackMan, which now we got, you know, portable. We got, we got all the, all the bells, whistles and Danny Burrell getting him from the Yankees was, was awesome in that as well. But we now got 10 undergrad uh, analysts. And all I was trying to do from the get-go is find one or two that I knew at Tech um, were going to be off the charts. And then I always kind of speak to like having a good aroma around the program, a good smell of, hey, you know, a manager is not going to get put to work. A manager is going to get to decide to buy into something. And so I think that was my whole thing is like we could tell managers or analysts um, to do this. Uh, I always felt like at our level, you know, it's not going to end up well if we're just telling kids to set Rapsodo on the ground and calibrate it for us. And so um, I just always have asked them, like, what do you guys think is important? So we did like, you know, <laughs> these kids are so smart. Um, we did a lineup comp. Like I just was messing with them about lineup assembly. And I was like, I genuinely want to know where you guys think I should be hitting. And uh, one of them like used some crazy small sample size and he went around the rules. I tried to set rules and of course they outsmarted me on it for sure that's awesome though yeah but i was like dude give me a lineup like and and why and create um stats and we have all these they they call me uh what is it like the beautiful mind sessions where they'll they'll come in or, or goodwill hunting is what they tell me so yeah. they come in and and i've got all the colors and i'm colorblind but i'm still a very color oriented person it's weird but I, i'll have all the colors and here's what we want to do. I'm kind of the big picture guy. And then I let them just run. So they'll bring me pitch predictors. Um, and I already tell them, I'm like, Hey, I've got it. I, I have it on track, man, on our portal. I can already see the decision tree, but like bring me something to add on to that. And so they'll write 50 lines of code. And to me, like, that's just the innovation that I think we want. One of them got a job with TrackMan, another one's in the scouting department now. And I don't think if we would have just sat them there on a clipboard and told them do this, do that. I think we end up with, you know, not the end result. So I think that we are getting the fruit of the labor, but I think that it's a longer term here. We'd be in year three of having like a full out analyst team. And I still don't know if we're great yet. I think we're, we're very far ahead. I think of some of our peers, but I still think that you know, we're still working through it, right? Because our best analyst got hired by a pro team. That our uh, other one gets hired by TrackMan, and I'm like, I that's kind that. of the model that a lot of guys have to do. And and funding too. I'm still trying to figure out ways to get creative of to bring in the young, maybe guy that wants to get into pro ball. I mean, I would love to be a pipeline for pro analysts just because we've got all the tech, and if you can become literate, and we've got KVS, we got blast sensors, we've got, you know. Uh, we're getting pressure plates uh, in our new uh, player development center. We're going to have 23 motion capture sensors. We're going to have edutronics on both pitchers and hitters. And it'll be, you know, knock on wood, if we can get it built in time, the first place pro college MLB that can have all those and live at bats with retractable nets. And so that was my whole thing is like, man, we can measure this lab stuff all we want. I know what it's like to sit in on 97 and you behave differently and you yeah. make different decisions and it just feels. And cause I was always a guy that I could hit a lot of different ways. Um, 
I had some guys, I, I think a lot of times I had an unorthodox way of loading and unloading. And I was, once again, every time I get to a new organization, hey, you're on the fast track, but if you do this, you'll hit 340. If you do this, you'll hit 30. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take that pill. I'll do that stance and I'll hit BP like this until my hands bleed. And I'm just passionate about that doesn't work. I don't know the terms always to tell yeah. you about the connections and stuff, but I just know that that doesn't create long-term success. So I'm trying to invest in a couple more K vests. So basically you got a hitting group of four and all day, man, they're just, they're just rolling with K, their whole K vest on. Not Yeah. Nick you know, asked me the other day, he said, he said, if you had, cause that was on my list of ideas that I had here is like, what tech are you using? And so, you explained that you explained that phenomenally well and, and you're right i mean we collecting data is one thing but like the environment in which you collect the data in is representative to game performance you know like what at the end of the day we're trying to get these guys to to hit you know yep. the runner on second base and in the bottom of the seventh in a tie ball game you know and yeah we want the first curveball they see to be in no two count with first inning yeah and so collecting that data beforehand you're right and so that was on my list of things but nick asked me the other day or he asked me a while back if you could take one piece of tech one just one what would it be and and i said like we have 40 i have a 40 but but just 40 k vest just kinematics just knowing kinematics like getting some idea of like hitters rotating and we've been really this one hitter we've got right now We've been really dig, and I sent you a message about like some pelvic speed stuff. Like, yeah. like what do your all's pelvic speeds look like? Because we're just trying to like get a sample size on, on like this kid has some things that I don't really understand. And so, 40, 40 motion, like collecting forty motion and co- collecting K vesting, just collecting kinematics. It's just a whole. It it saw, <laughs> and and my journey as a player was 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 the same. It was like. You're just you just want to be good so bad, and you want to become a major leaguer. And and the guys are telling you like, you know, hit like this and, and do this, and then hit like this and do this. You're like, all right, man. I oh mean, yeah, you've got a you've got a fatal flaw is what I was yeah. told at one point. At, you yeah. know, like hitting 300 after being a first rounder in Double A, and it was like, you know, oh wow, if it's fatal, you know, yeah. like I'm not doubting you, but just <laughs> then heal me, you know, yeah. like and so. I think then I get to the next organization and like, well, you're a righty throwing lefty hitter. You have an uppercut. I was told that in 2013, like that was a problem. Yeah. And then I, then I work and I guarantee, I know I can see it. And you know, you, you look back and I could have just told that 24 year old dude, stop, don't, you know, this guy's wrong. Just, and that's the hard part for me. I was almost too coachable. Of, sure. Then I get well, traded. Too, man. Like I just, yeah. you just take their word for it. And it's like now with K vest and, you know, you get to the point, it's like, can this swing work? Can it work? And if no, it no. works, if it's efficient, what do we need? Then what do we win? I've, I've got a couple. You want me to throw up a couple of our dudes? I got some screenshots. If you some. want. I mean, if you want. If you want to throw up some, some KVS. Let me – I think I can. The only, the only reason is, too, is is this is equal feedback. I'm not <laughs> – I'm going to throw yeah. them up there, and then we're going to, yeah, you know, because sure. I, I wasn't passionate enough for both of these guys, high performing draft picks, I never use their K vest to make adjustments with them, so to speak, because of being in fall draft season, yeah. fall spring competition mode of a draft year. Um, it just, it goes to show like 
heard a story about another GT alum of Kucher and how he was great wedge player and and his sequence oh. was like a one two two four. You know, it's like yeah. and it goes back to I remember hearing a story years ago from Jeff Albert, my first ever hitting coach in pro ball about javelin throwers and how he's got two that are world record holders. Like, I'm not going to tell you which one moves better. You know, I could sit here and tell you one is sequences correctly. And the other one also held a world record. And I can't tell you that he would have moved like the other guy, you know, that would have, that he might not have been a world record holder if that was the case. If you try to change him and make him like the other guy, for sure. Yes. For sure. I don't know. You Go ahead. If you want to share your screen, you can. It's, yeah. It's on. All right, let me uh, go here. I'm just going to go to – I'll go one to start here. Can you all see that? Got it. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, this is one of our – one of the dudes you asked about, elite mover. Um, You know, this is, once again, we're talking small samples. And and fall, I think, is when I first uh, collected some swings on this guy, and I was super intrigued at – I mean, he – been told by my boy Ochart he was number one in bat speed of anyone in the draft last year in in this past draft that is a couple of days ago uh he was second behind Torkelson and exit velos and creating power and I mean there was still more in there and I think that you know I don't know from guys that have looked at it you know what what this type sequence or what these power outputs kind of scream to y'all but this is just one that I think was always intriguing to me to say the least so this this left sidebar over here this is degrees per second 200 400 600 800 degrees per second it's got to be what that is nick yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that y axis yeah. yeah yeah um interesting because look at his Look at his hip speed. It's like I would say below six hundred degrees per second. We're kind of marking. Yeah. We're kind of marking in like guys that have, um, like really high bat speed, like six hundred degrees per second, six hundred fifty degrees per second. Kind of like that where they're where they are. Um, it looks like. What do you think, Nick? It looks like. Yeah, it's just nicely. Yeah, he builds nicely. You know yeah. what happens though if you if you take that that hip speed up to six fifty or even or seven hundred, mm-hmm. and with the same efficiency, and with the same efficiency. You know we've been really focusing Ramsey on like speed gains, basically handoffs, yeah. like moving the center. Like how how well does a guy? And that's why I ask you, like the hip speed of of the, the one guy you've got that hits at one hundred sixteen three. Like, what's his hip speed look like? Like, how's he moving the center? Um, you're. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think this guy's got more in the tank, especially through this through the middle. Because just to give you some background on this one guy we've got, he's super strong. He's just a really strong four four fifty five hundred pound deadlifter. Um, just doesn't produce an abundance of exit velocity and he and his he just swings predominantly with his upper body like he's so strong he muscles the bat and does he sequence does he sequence with the upper half first too or is he yeah he's he's early a lot he's early a lot with his arms and so you know we've tried a lot of things honestly we've tried a lot of things and and just as far as like trying to get his arms to sequence and they're pretty fast and it just finally got to like we just need to speed up the rest of his stuff like we need to like stop trying to like stabilize his upper body from, from going too early and 
just try to speed up his other stuff. Because I think if we can speed up his other stuff, like speed up his hips, speed up his torso, then then his arms are going to have no choice but to to sequence maybe behind. Yeah, five fifty seven on the um, five fifty seven on the hips. Um, So yeah, I would definitely say on that one, um, you go faster in the middle. We we've messed around. We've messed around with we've been messing around our drill progressions. We got it. We got a because we're using just all in like building stuff in track. Yeah, build a lot of stuff in track. So we can so we can bucket it all in the same place and look at it. Um, we've been all in on like the core velocity. We put the core velocity belt in in okay. a lot of their drill progressions lately. Either, either I have one core velocity belt that one of the pitching guys keeps a lot, and so we built it out of like exercise bands, just looping exercise bands to get their rear hip to coil and feed and accelerate, attaching it to their front hip just to get him to, just to get him to rotate faster, just basically overspeeding his pelvis. Yep, yep. Um, which again goes down the rabbit hole of like, we've overspeeded his pelvis and then given him like a 60 ounce bat. And so his pelvis is going really, really fast. And then we've given him a 60 ounce bat. He's delaying. I like, like yeah. to delay him a little bit just to just to create a different stimulus to get him to, to accelerate better, especially in the in the middle, like in the center. Like we've been really focusing on and I've been really digging on like getting guys to accelerate. How are they accelerating in the center? You know, as far as because we talked to Johansson and Johansson talked to because Johansson's got force plates, and it'd be interesting to see what you get when when you get them, but he talked about he talked about it very briefly, but he talked about how a guy's pelvis and how he moves and accelerates his pelvis is how he shifts and transfers his, his center mass or his center pressure on the force plate. And so the pelvis is kind of like how everything goes. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was really interesting. Well, I've always like, I've always kind of dug in and, and listened and tried to sift through like, just some of the elite sprint coaches too, you know, when yeah. they talk about just how, how you use the pelvis and how it kind of just counterbalances everything and, and the hinge points and all that. And so, you know, I think that I, you know, I'll throw up another one just for the sake of, cause I think this is cool to see another all American high average, low swing and miss hitter and some of his K vest that he, you know, we almost called him the robot at times. Um, are y'all seen it, or is it still the same one I had earlier? No, this is a different. Y'all should be. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, good. guy has a really yeah. fast pelvis, but like his, this is this is kind of what Evan would look like, I think. Mm-hmm. His, his torso and his arm so, are yeah. are ahead of his pelvis, so mm-hmm. it's not like transitioning. Um, yeah, when like the, and, and one of the not that, great dude that wasn't you know was one of those deals where I know when pro guys are asking, is he going to hit for power? I'm like, he can, he could, I truly think he can. And, and, you know, a lot of times, a lot, whether it's scouts or PD guys, I think still don't think that certain things are trainable. And that's the, that's the hard part I have with answering those questions. Cause it, I just, I would tell a scout, do you believe your hitting coordinator, you know, who is he and what is he sure. kind of implementing? Cause I think, I tend to think you can get past swing and miss. I think there is an ISO percentage that, I'm comfortable with swing and miss or I would invite swing and miss. Right. And so I think that when guys are talking about, can this guy hit for power? I'm like, well, heck yeah, he can hit for power. Cause I know his work ethic. I know that he has high aptitude and, 
and maybe that's a good transition. Uh, and well, I will, I will run a slow-mo video just to show you kind of where my head's at sometimes, like with a mover like this, when I then counter it with a video, um, like this one where you're talking about high velocity, high spin. I remember this exact fastball in a false scrimmage. And this is some managers have helped with too, have kind of helped transition them into the video roles. But, you know, you're talking about a guy that you can just tell visibly the way that he sequences may not be the cleanest, but when you're followed with a path like this guy has, you know, when I start looking at heel strike, where's he at? And, you know, just working our way through, I mean, the kid just continues to hit. And so I do think he did add power, um, but he was diligent enough. Um, and I'll run it back just one more time just for kicks, but, and I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on him, but I mean, it was just, it was incredible to see. He doesn't swing and miss. He, he knows how to kind of separate and get things in a decent enough position, but he doesn't separate like we would traditionally teach. Um, but I know that, like you said, between hip speed and, and like, there's more in there, uh, no doubt with a guy like that. It, do you, do you find yourself, I mean, do you find yourself looking at a lot of video like that? I mean, you know, video, video, pairing video and, and tech, that was, that went, it was Dawes. It was Dawes, Connor Dawson that we talked to about, and you know, he, he talked about using video to, to better communicate with the player. The player may not always understand the terminology he's trying to, 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 to like kinematic sequence or, or whatever, you know, like, you know, anterior pelvic tilt or, or any of the nat, you know, the anatomical terms, you just like fire on the video and be like, Hey, like, I need you to try X, Y, or Z, you know, I get super skeptical of video just, and that that's a, that's based on my own player. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, like, um, like Nick will tell you, like I haven't shot an abundance of video. I, Gauze has made me reevaluate it a little bit just because he's right. But Nick and I have had this conversation with, it's like I don't like for guys to watch a lot of video of themselves because they, they dome themselves up and they start worrying too much about how they're moving versus like just executing the task. Like just execute. Like here this guy is gonna be on the mound. He's gonna, you know, you're gonna be in account, anticipate a pitch and, and try to hit it, you know, hard and over the defense. Like yeah. Dig me video though. I'm all on, I'm all about dig me video, so I make sure that these guys have good highlight videos. And, right, sure. And whatever we all decide from good pitch selection to good attacking and executing a plan, that's one. But no, I'm I, and part of it is I don't think I'm smart enough to break down video. I think breaking down these kinematic sequences, which sounds crazy, is easier. Right, yeah. I don't have to sit here and go frame, 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 frame. Sure. Hey, man, let me back that up for you because I'm smart and I can know. Like, I think it's yeah. easier to just point and say, "This is how you're moving." Yeah. Um, and I think to your point too, I sometimes am a believer in. I, I kind of like the disconnect sometimes too. Sometimes when they're looking in mirror and they, feel, oh man, I'm going to recreate this certain move instead yeah. of, hey man, you may not be moving fast enough. You may not be passing off energy the right way. So let's go throw a med ball. Let's go move a TRX. Like, and I think that that's where, and I, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm good on some of the taking the gold from people. I'm not always good at plagiarizing well. So my paraphrasing game needs work, yeah. but like, you know, you've got your pyramids of functionality of drills and taking yep. them from specific tasks or whatever. So I'll take them. Let's not use a ball. Then let's use a ball, maybe at a slow speed. Then let's yeah, use it. Like Franz Bosch, you know, like, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. I like that, you know, and it's like, it's like Nick knows, Nick is, Nick is, he's, he's, he's such a tremendous, he's such a tremendous mind uh, and, and like challenges the way that I think. And I think one of the things that, that I'm, uh, you know, above average at would be like, like, like we're trying to overspeed the pelvis and give the guy 60 ounce bat in order to improve his, his kinematics because I think his hip speed is deficient. I think it, I think no matter what we do or what we throw at him, it's not going to fix. And so, you know, it's always about like that guy you were showing. It's like, I, I would, I would, um, I, I like the video. I like the video, like Dawes said from the back. I like to see how they, they load and hinge. Yeah. Um, Monty was, I think Monty did a presentation on this, so he probably doesn't mind me talking about this, but, but he and his strength coach like did a, did a loading presentation. Then they found that guys that loaded into their quad more had like higher swing and miss rates, like in the zone they hit, they hit, um, but they did not, they did not hit, they didn't hit as many homers like they didn't. And they, it was all started by like, did they loaded more into their quad? Like they didn't hinge and create a lot of space. And that was like what I was thinking about when, when you were showing that video, that guy's like, I'd like to see the back because from the front, he kind of looks like a, a little bit of a quad dominant loader a little yeah. bit. No, you, you're, you're not wrong. And I think that's where I've got make, I'm making sure I'm going to hit on my two biggest, biggest themes here before this call is over, but it's, but it's looking at, um, as soon as you become quad dominant, as soon as you guys actually, I think have a pretty good feel for that as hitters, they never understand, but you know, jumpy, lungy, uh, coming out of my posture, all so many of those things. Um, and I think the most overly, uh, I guess the, the most poorly coached move is the stride and how many times, I mean, what percentage of hitters start open and stride closed and I'm, I'm taking out this side to side of guys starting toes open, closed. Let's just start. Let's just stay on start open stride closed. The number of guys that that's an optimal move for them, I think is under probably 50%. So we are teaching the stride, I think is maybe, and maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe this is not, maybe there's an upper body, you know, poorly taught mechanic, but I feel like the stride is one thing I've really tried to key in on is where are you starting? Where are you finishing? And so much of, I mean, probably to Monty's point too, of eyes and posture and fighting of basically a counter rotation move that's poor. Like the stride has been one thing that I'm going to take a much deeper dive to um, this fall because mm-hmm. I think if you're striding in the wrong direction, plates. yeah, hopefully, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so go ahead, Nick. And that's something that you could see with the behind camera angle and also over top as well. And something going back to what you guys were talking about is um, just the posture of a hitter on uh, their negative and positive move. If you're, if the video angle is from the side, I mean, you really can't evaluate a player's um, if they're losing space, if there's early hip extension. So from behind, if that's a primary characteristic for a hitter, then that camera angle allows you to better see that. Yeah, that's great. So here's my question. Um, it's probably an easier segue now, and then I'll ask about uh, adaptability and adjustability later. But if we sat here, because this is where my mind goes, and I know first principles probably thinking gets me to some of this, 
But if I'm held accountable to my hitters year to year, and uh, whether we have a good year, bad year, if my where I've where my head's been at is if I could take one thing out of this two month of quietness to be able to like go to back to work and kind of dive into what I think is important for hitters. Um, what's the one goal that, and maybe that'd be something that, you know, we kind of all, if there's one goal, you could say, I know my hitters are going to be better at this, this, or that. To me, it's been about windows, meaning the window of, uh, timing and the window of your path. Like if I can basically make the sure that I'm always on time in that window and I'm always getting my path in a position to hit. Um, and so how we train that, how we do that, I don't know, but I feel like, you know, hitting is timing and hitting, you know, like that whole timing thing gets lost. I think sometimes in the new and old ways of hitting, like how important it is to be on time for my window or my, you know, hitting zone, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so that was one thing I was going to ask the minds here of, and if we had that goal of like winning that, you know, I, I keep calling it a window, but I think you guys are following me probably right. As far as like, how do we consistently get into that zone? The most, you know, the most uh, amount of time uh, on time and also in a position to do damage. Like, you know, just looking for ways like that's the highest leverage. That's the one thing we're going to focus on. How do we, how do we get there with 20 hitters, you know? So Nick, do you mean, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, just a few things that are, on the top of my mind right now. Um, one thing I really like, those are huge, right? Like if we can do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I hear you, man. Like if you're able to kind of cover, uh, you know, the depth, right? Like that's kind of in my mind, how I guess I would term that. It's just like talking about that window from like maybe inside your front foot to the front of the play and, and even further, um, upwards to maybe 18 inches or plus, depending on where you're standing in the box, being able to hit a ball squarely near your peak exit velocity um, would require that type of swing plane. So I think in my mind, man, side. is um, just, I think. You say pull side? Yeah, more to the pull side. <laughs> yeah, more more pull side. Yeah. just Let's just hit it down the line, Chad, right? Because it's the Talked shortest part. that last night, yeah. If you, if you miss left, it's foul. If you miss right, you're out. But it's also the shortest part of the field and your Woba's double. I mean, let, let's do that. Um, but I, but I really like um, just varying the uh, depth of contact. And I think like um, you could just simply place a few balls, you know, I've got the ladder play. drill. I kind of, uh, I remember reading that article years ago of overhead cameras. That's what like this phase two for us, the renovation is going to have, that's my thought is, is to just keep getting those guys on the ladder and, you know, the ladder being one, two, three locations mm-hmm. to your point. And I just like varying pitch speed, man. I think, I think one of the best things that we can do is just disrupt them with um, velocity and um, just varying the reaction time or the velocity. You can do that with distance and velocity, but I think just maybe that, that would add the, add complexity to the task. If you were to just vary the velocity of the pitch being thrown, whether it be overhand or underhand, and then just kind of keep the balls in, in the middle or in the front or um, at the edge of the plate and just kind of add variability that way as well. I mean, there's just a couple of thoughts that I have about about creating depth outside of, I know what maybe what Chad's going to talk about with the back arm, maybe. I, I really like that as well. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't going there. What I was thinking about was like, like multiple plate 
like multiple plate, multiple bat. Like, like I love, I love doing like multiple plate where, where you would go three plate, but like putting the heaviest swing weighted bat in the shortest, in the shortest amount of reaction time. So putting the heaviest swing weighted bat being the inloaded bat in the front and putting the lightest bat in the back. So they've got the most time, but they've got the lightest bat. So their swing time is going to be the fastest. And so they really have to like hone in on like when they're going to go and then giving them, not giving them a lot of swings at each plate to like default themselves into timing. I think, I think what you get into a lot of times and what you want to try to avoid in practice is, is, is replicating like in a game, you've got like one swing to get the timing, right? Like you don't, you can't stand there for swings and be like, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. It's like, to me, practicing timing, I mean, you got two swings max or maybe even three swings max at like each plate to figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, then we've got to move on. Like we can't, we can't just let you stand there and figure yeah. it out. Well, this, this ties into the other thing that, that the main other question I had for you guys or just something to discuss too is, how do you measure aptitude? I mean, this is a way that I try to do it is putting them in short rounds and, you know, seeing if they can just figure it out. But I think you want to talk recruiting or just identifying and bucketing guys. I've found like the, if a guy has, and I, I do think you can train aptitude. I'm not saying that, but I do think to a certain degree as a hitting coach, we've all seen the guys that have aptitude and the guys that don't have high levels of it. And to me, there's, there's a huge learning curve if a guy does not have that ability to quickly adapt and quickly, you know, and so I feel like that's one thing I've talked about, you know, you do these camps or you get your hands and get to work with kids. And if you can just not dome them up, but to a certain extent, it's that physical doming up of a kid and just saying, Hey man, I want to see if you can make a reaction on a fly, take out the whole, you know, stress element. But that's to me, if a guy has a high level aptitude, like there's a, better chance he can get into your environment and, and make sure rides quicker. I think definitely this is an interesting question that we've gone down with a few of the guys. It's like, I don't know if this is what you're alluding to, but like player buy-in in bringing failure more into the equation in practice. I mean, I don't know if that's what I even think sometimes guys naturally, whether it's partial athleticism or it's just the ability to be, uh, to, to adjust the ability to be able to, if I want to change or put you in an external or even an internal cue, I'm not big on that, but you know, if, if let's say I put a new external cue on you or a new attention focus on and guys that like, if I put you on a VLO machine, I, you know, it's going to expose things pretty fast. The guys that can and can't make adjustments they, mm-hmm. they don't have the aptitude to just put barrel on ball. I don't ever yeah. tell them, you know, hit above the ball is one thing. I'm not going to tell them, you know, take your bat and put it in a certain, cause sure. I just, they're not, it's not going to work. Um, so I guess it's the guys that are naturally, and, and it does that, that stress yeah, portion okay. of failure sure. leaks in, but. Sure, I get what you're at now. Like, yeah. like just, just making those like conscious aiming adjustments or, you know, like, like if you, like if you take one swing and you kind of can quickly process how you've missed that ball, then you can kind of adjust your feel quickly. Yes. Uh, because the best, the best do it, man. I play you yeah. know, with the Lindors and those guys. I mean, Aguilar, like they just immediately, yeah. the Adi always has his little thing is, Hey, I know what I did. I don't even have to, you know, I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Cause a lot of yeah. guys want to go to the cage coach. Let's go to the cage. I got to fix my swing. I'm like, 
no, that's not for sure. That's not I, it. I think I heard. I think I heard Ochart maybe talk about it one time, where he was talking about weighted bats and he was talking about like you know the best hitters we've got. This was when he was mo- mainly at drive line. He's you know we can kind of give them anything, and within about two or three swings, they can start hitting the barrel on it. And so to that point. Um, I made the point about that, but like when we talk about barrel accuracy, we, t- we go back to the beginning of the long bat, the short bat. I love those. I love those stimuluses in, in, in creating that aptitude you're talking about because they're having to, they're, they're having to figure it out quick. They're having to figure it out, but they're not, you're not talking to them about their swing. It's like, mm-hmm. here, I love the, the, you have to figure out where the barrel is in relationship to your hands. I love that task challenge. Like I like it more now than I, than I have maybe ever. It's like, I love just the quick, like one, you know, two swings from now, you're going to be swinging a 30 or 28 or whatever that acts. Yep. You're swinging. And then you got 37, 37. And so it's like, you have to, you like your brain is just on fire trying to figure out like where the barrel, the sweet spot of this bat is. Um, I love mm-hmm. that practice. I love that practice. Now, uh, how do you get how do you get uh, how do you get them proprioceptively aware of those? Like, I, I find it. I'm not like I'm. I'm not saying like Lindor's not smart, and there. But there's a lot of big league, and you probably played with a ton of baseball players that just aren't very smart. But but they know what that is. Like yeah, they, no, they, they have that innate ability to they, just make it happen. They know what it is. Like they yeah. didn't explain it to you. It kind of feels like this to me. They could maybe they could feel they could explain it to you what it is to them. And I think the challenge as coaches is like getting players to the point where they know what it is to them, and they just kind of do it, you know. And so, so what I what I always default to is like, how can you change the stimulus a lot? keep the objective the same but change the stimulus a lot yeah and then and then like just try to stay out of the way as much as you can like and yeah it, it kind of sounds like to me guys like you think about it like um in terms of like skill training and skill um you know coordination and control it's like to me it sounds like a lot of uh dealing with uh attention and adaptability and calibration like like a player can have the right attention and not have the right calibration right like like one thing that came to my mind just as a practical example is like if you want to make a task more complex and evaluate a player's um functional adjustability or just adjustability then maybe like switch bp pitchers every round that's something that I love doing and we, I mean, I would like to do more often. Um, it was just, I mean, you might, your first plate appearance, you might see a righty, then you see a lefty, then you see another righty, or, I mean, it, it could be a, a number of combinations. Angles, but, angle BP onset and off, offside. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as they get the hang of it, change the task, make it more complex and, and you can make it complex without making it more representative. And then you're, you're still using a self-organization approach. You're just using a different method. Um, so, I, I mean, those are some things that come to my mind. It's like, I mean, it's real, I think it's really difficult to, I mean, that's a really good question, man. I, I don't know how I would be able to quantify like someone's attention and, and calibration because it's like, you think about like a, 
someone like shooting a gun, like they, they're able to like perceptually like, like see the moving target and they're able to kind of like feel the wind, the direction of it. They're, they're kind of like in tune to this information that's like that could affect their action. But they, they consider all that that information because their attention's in the right place, but they just can't like they just can't execute. So it's like it's, I guess it's like one thing if a hitter has the right visual strategy, right? Like it, you know, he has the right visual strategy, but if he's not able to like execute on that, then that's not something else. So it's like that's a really good question and and I don't know how the yeah, it's, something it, like that. yeah, it's it's food for thought, and it's something that I always kind of like to kick around too. Because I mean, we're all trying to get guys in the least amount of time, you know, as good as they can be in a time constrained sport. Um, and I, I feel like the one, you know, I, I like some of the the switching up during BPs of angles, and the one thing that I've found too is like just a stair step drill, just each round, you're just adding a little more, adding a little more. And and now you've created buy-in where they like that drill. Like for early work, they don't even want slower machine. They want to just, Hey, yeah, give me, give me that first round of six. And then from then on, man, like I'd rather my last two or three be where, you know, you're basically dialed that thing <laughs> spin rates through the roof. And they're just, uh, they're just trying to have fun. So. Yeah. I mean, you, ever, you ever do it the other way? I mean, they don't want to go down, but. But, you know, like, like I think Joe, did Johansson talk about that at one time, Nick? When we Just simplifying the task? Well, no, like, like on the machine, like the stair-stepping the machine of like what he's Opposite, talking about. Like his first up. round is blowing up and then. Like the first round is just blowing up, unrealistic. And then they get to 94 or whatever and they, they have this calmness. It's like, oh, it's just 94. You know, Johansson talked about that a little bit with – with like hitting sliders. He talked about hitting sliders, like these just disgusting sliders with synaptic glasses on. Oh man. And just challenging the hitter to like try to get the barrel to it. And then they take the synaptic glasses off and he'd turn the machine on like 94 with a high with a Garrett Cole spin rate. And they're just as cool as the other side of the pillow. It's like, ah, it's just 94. It's not like this chaotic environment of like this, just this wipeout slider coming at me with these with these strobing glasses on, you know. I love that idea of of kind of stepping it down and getting it to a point where oh, it's just ninety four. You know, it's just ninety. It's just Garrett Cole out there, and they're they're in there yeah. with inner calmness about them now, where they where you've thrown them mm-hmm. dead in the center of the fire, and then you're just kind of like pulling them out a little bit to where if I think if you did it the other way, you know, it's where the maybe the stress level is increasing, you're 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 going backwards and taking the stress away. Where's, where's your where's your shutdown percentage too? You know, I think just based on population of who our hitters are too, like that shutdown percentage of, you know, if I'm one for twelve, like, yeah, and I'm a I'm a PG sure. All American, like I'm out. You know, and yeah. that's a, that's a that's a longevity thing. Yeah. But I definitely think that. I mean, we never hit with machines really before I got to GT and that's, I'm not trying to pat myself, but I just was like, yeah. we didn't have any good ones and yeah. we're fouling balls off. Coach Hall used to park his car, you know, like back, like where it was in range for the velo machine. I was like, well, one or two things are going to happen. You know, we're either going to smash the dude's windshield or we're going to figure it out and hit. Um, for sure. Player buy-in is always out there. Like that's one thing that I always ask guys is like, how much, like how, how do you, how do you, how do you get player buy-in? When our hitters now are coming in with their, they're going to be on base. You screened immediately. They're going to have it with K vest on. They're going to have 
blast sensors. They're going to have a tra uh, portable track man and a stadium track man. I also have been very conscious too of days where we just need to take the gloves off and just, you know, fight spar, you know, like, and I think that's been something too, that just to be literate in this stuff and just to be able to use some of the words and execute them properly. I still think that we do still play a game where when the bell rings, you know, like there's going to be plenty of days where I feel like crap. My swing feels like crap. And maybe I need to learn how to bring the expectation level down, or I need to just be able to control my breathing or hype myself up. I mean, playing in pro ball, you know, Chad, I mean, I remember days in little rock where I'm like, dude, I don't have that infield single at first at bat. Like I put on the atomic bomb. It's not kicking in until, you know, the third inning, like, I've taken four advent, like it's not yeah. going to happen. So yeah. how do I hype myself up um, those days? And then how other days I'm taking great BP and I need to just chill out and, and, you know, not try to hit everything. So I think that's where the beauty of technology always gives us the safety net, but then we still play a game, man, where I want the cage loud with whatever music you need to go yep. in and just forget yep. about the rest of it. For sure. You know, it goes to, it goes to, we, we talk about all these things, but, there, there's 100% like a time and a place where you've got to throw a guy some 2-0 BP and he's just got to try to smash it with some music on in the background. And he's got to, he's got to believe his swing's good. You know, he's got to believe his stuff's going to play. Even yeah. maybe it doesn't feel good today, but hey, you know, you've always got, you know, you talked about just trying to be on time, you know, just try to be on time and arrive with what Johansson says, just try to be on time and arrive with force. You know, just to try to apply force to where the ball is or where it's going to be. It's not you – know, at its surface level, it's not It's not any more complicated than that. Just try to be on time and, and with speed and force. And You would say you guys deal with guys chronically late, right? I've never really talked to hitters that are like, man, I got this problem of being chron chronically early, you know? Like, yeah. just, I would love to have that, you know, clubhouse. But in ways to guys to get them on time, is there anything that you guys feel like – you know, has allowed y'all to get guys that are constantly late, whether it's when they start their negative or positive moves or just to make sure that they're kind of getting on time to hit a fastball. Timing is such an interesting um, conversation. I think, I think what you're going to find, and Nick, you can probably piggyback on this, what you're going to find, and Rachel talked about this, is she was really into, um, like, really designing swings and like designing setups, like designing strides based upon their movement profiles, like their OBU screens, you know, how they're screening, the Cubs are screening players. And it's like, you know, I never thought that I would tell players how to stand, but I'm finding myself kind of telling players how to stand based upon their screening. And so maybe a guy's not timing balls, right? Because maybe he's, based upon their movement profiles and what they're doing, they're just not. He should be a, he should be a Pujols guy and he's trying to be a Donaldson guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's we, not loose yeah. tight. I remember yeah, a couple years ago, you, no. you put out, you put out the guys in the Derby and it wasn't as simple as saying he's a loose mover or a tight mover. There's layers to this stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why you, you, just cause he has a big move doesn't mean it's a loose move, you know, like there's yeah. so many ways to, to kind of look at it. Um, Oh, I think that's really good. What do you think, Nick? Like, like as far as like timing goes, it's like I mean, you can, I could, I could talk about Evan, but yeah, I mean, I think personally, 
just thinking about the self-organization approach to motor learning, I'm thinking about like just varying the bat, vary the ball. I mean, if you vary the ball weight, it's going to travel at a different rate of speed. And um, I mean, you can so you could vary the ball, you could vary the bat type, or, or in other words, the bat weight. You could vary like, is it uh, a slide step? Is it a pickup? Um, or in other words, what's his time to the plate? You could just vary like uh, wind up stretch. Um, you could, I mean, they're, they're in my mind, I think if I were to keep it external then I would say like, just vary those things, like move the hitter to the back of the box, move him to the middle, move him, move him to the front, like put him more towards the third base dugout, first base dugout towards the plate, like vary those things. And, uh, I think that'll challenge his timing enough. Not enough guys play with that. That's the thing. Like there's not, I think sometimes guys feel so safe now. They've got their own hitting guy when they're 12. Yeah. It's almost like they don't think like, like dude, all some of the best. And I, I love the Latin players too. Cause like they don't give a crap about giving away an at bat to try something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of beauty to that. <laughs> I'm just going to mess around BP today. I don't care if I hit one ball. Good. I'm a, I'm a stand up tall. Or what, what, yeah. Yeah. Just going to explore, just try new things. And yeah, I mean, I, I love that, man. So I, Nick's, yeah, I mean, guy, Nick's guy. And, and when you said that, Nick, automatically go to your guy, Pete Rose, who said, exactly. You know, don't change your swing. Just kind of like move up, move back, move back, you know, back towards the first base dugout. Or, so so or which one of those guys from a game planning perspective, you know what I mean? Like you got a spin rate guy or you got a sinker guy. I mean, sure. I, I kind of yeah. always try to mess around a little bit with that. Like once again, a lot of times when I'm now saying this, some of my Latin teammates were the ones like, Hey, Poppy, Hey, you, you know, this guy does this, you, maybe you, maybe you change, you know, I think sometimes we're so stubborn, like my mm-hmm. swing's good, man. Like I'm, I'm just going to turn on this cutter. It's like, get off the plate or get on the plate, like feed the the weakness, yeah. like let the guy know, no, I'm getting on the plate. Um, now we're in a conversation about game theory, which I freaking love. Yeah. Like and I love this conversation. Ecology. Just like yeah. interacting with Nick and I, Nick and I have, talked about this a lot since he's been home it's like why do guys why do guys only have one stance like like and and i think today especially you know we've all we've all been we're all on twitter and we're all there it's like it's the the search for the perfect swing it's like man just stop looking just stop looking and start like adapting. And you raise the point of like, if you're going to face Garrett Cole that day, then having, if you're like, if your stance is a little more forward posture and you know, you're, you're kind of designing yourself to handle the ball kind of in the bottom half of the zone. But if Garrett Cole's that day and he's going to throw that high spin fastball right at your belt, you're just kind of not even giving yourself a chance. If you're standing in that, that, forward posture like you need to maybe stand up a little taller maybe flatten your bat out a little bit so it so it turns more you know directly in the top of the zone and what's the worst that's going to happen you're gonna you don't you hit guys well you don't hit guys that with high spin anyways like that's yeah. why i, I challenge mm-hmm. my hitters like some of the best little like whether it's a lefty goes and gets a lefty in the pen and i know whether the guy's good not good good metrics they like the guys up against it the easiest thing for me is like trying to take them out of the frame of mindset of like, dude, like this guy has owned you anyways, right? Like we all know that guy. So why not try to just do something different or go after that first pitch slider, you know, or swing and miss at it, whatever you need to, you know, I never would 
tell a guy to swing and miss, but you know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, if you go and you gamble, that's a much better plan than just letting a guy impose his will on you. Yeah, again just kind of just again. doing my swing mm-hmm. and just continuing to, to, to get beat. And I, and I, I was that at times, just to be honest, like I was always good. And I always felt like lefties coming, you know, with a little two seam action, like I would stay stubborn to looking away, 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 away. It's like, dude, they got those heat maps, those lefties though, 97, like it got to the point where I started thinking, maybe I do start that little dial. I always call it. Maybe I move that dial to slider heavy. I never, I could never tell myself to look slider because I knew that when I told myself, look this, it bled into my timing. And so I always needed to look heater knowing that I was going to be able to, you know, I would make that kind of, you know, in-game adjustment of, no, dude, I'm going to see the slider. I'm just going to be ready for a heater and just, just react. But I think that, uh, I mean, what are other things you think are some of those, you know, what we need to do more of as hitters? I, I think like you guys, that, that kind of brings me to something that you were alluding to there, James, that I love. And me and Chad talks about quite a bit is really how do we like foster that like ecological approach where like you and me are interacting, we're connecting with one another. It's this is back and forth, this cat and mouse, like, if I'm throwing batting practice and I see that you have a great degree of forward bend, I'm going to throw up. Like I'm going to get you out. And Chad says it all the time. Like it pitch to get the guy out. Like, and I think like if a hitter is externally focused and you're pitching for his weaknesses, I mean, he's eventually going to have to make some type of adjustment. And I'm not saying that you have to give the hitter the answer to, to what you're doing, but you can use, you can emphasize questions to maybe your pitch tendencies that could help him like discover uh, a potential solution to that problem that he's facing that you've created for for that hitter so as a as a bp guy as a as a pitcher me pitching to a hitter like like i think that's maybe one way that we could help like improve a hitter's uh external focus and adaptability you guys have always felt like you hit certain BP guys money, right? We want to gravitate towards and so into our practice plans, right? Like guys are like, Oh man, I got to hit up. So and so like, dude, I mean, the ball is not coming at that much different. I mean, it is, but it's not, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you're the problem. <laughs> if you're trying to look for that guy to throw you the right BP or the right to get good work in whatever that means, you know, I think that's the thing that I found it. We got a pretty good culture of, of guys that want to get better they answer the bell whenever you challenge them but then they also want to go up in the cage and hit more and hit more and hit more and that's one of the things i can't wait to use blast for is honestly like dude look at what your peaks were and you went up there on the velo machine god love you for 40 minutes after practice look at where your peaks are and i would argue that that guy didn't get better if he's not able to swing at a certain percentage of output or whatever it might be you know, Money locked you know. his cage. Money locked his cage this year. Like on Monday, he would let guys go hit because I don't know if you used Blaster DK last year, but you know what he started to see. You guys were only basically a month into the season, but what he started to see, like they would do their blast testing on two, or they would do DK testing, sensor testing on like Tuesday. I would do it more than that, but he was doing it on Tuesday, whatever. He started to see like bat speed decline. And so they were doing some weight room fatigue testing. And so we've been doing some, some fatigue monitoring, you know, in our facility too, just to, to try to see what we can come up with 
from a swing fatigue, bat speed fatigue, because you don't want to be, you know, you spent the fall and you spent the winter and you spent the early spring, like building these big motors. And then a month, six weeks into the season, you're starting to see two to three mile an hour bat speed declines. And it's like, how do I combat swing fatigue now? It's like, so we were down, we were down a bit of a rabbit hole with Monty when, when the season got canceled, but you are trying to come up with a solution to, 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 to solve in season bat speed fatigue, which is, you know, you don't want to get to the college world series or, you know, where you've got to win to go to the college world series and your guys are off their bat speeds by five days. Well, hey man. And that's where in pro ball, what do guys tell you, you know, the veterans told me pretty early on, I think it was Michael Bourne or maybe Mike Avilas, one of the one, you know, they're like, dude, half an ounce, August, half an ounce minimum you got to take off your bat and i was like yeah. no man i'm i'm not tired i'm swinging this 33 and a half 30 i'm good dude like first season i finally did it great august you know like and and i wasn't measuring back then but that's been my whole thing with mark spencer too on hey test retest bat test can we is there there's so much yeah real, in college uh, you'd have to like go back a half an inch or you know yeah yeah that's interesting and, or even, or even adding the old counterbalance, like even adding some weight here and there if it yep. if it works, you know. I'm big on that. Yeah, we've talked about that. I, I'm big on adding the, the counterweight to the game back. And I'm still, and I need to, I need to learn more too about some of those finer tuned, which problem, which solution, you know, which hand to make thicker, which hand to which part yep. of the bat to balance, and that's the that's the fun part of why I've tried to lock into guys that I know are are in the same mindset because shoot man if if we're solving the same problem and you've had a better solution quicker then sure sure but the the grip thickness is that's a whole another conversation and i don't know if you you've seen our mark spencer roundtable yet but i haven't but i've had i've had my own mark pretty recently with mark where we talked about it and it's fascinating yeah like it's like i find golf guys that golf club fitting their understanding of tools and how tools interact with kinematics and all those things to be, to be so, so interesting. I find that, I find that super interesting though. I never thought about it in terms of like taking weight out of the bat later in the year. That That's so interesting that they, that, that was their, their idea, which makes total sense because you get down to the end, you got swing fatigue. You just got to have bat speed. Like, you gotta have bat speed. Yeah, let's not forget what what you gotta make sure that you bring yeah. at the yeah. end of the day. You gotta have bat speed. Like you gotta. Chad, was it uh, was it the Mark Spencer Zoom call where we were talking about Barry Bonds just picking out the heaviest barrel he can use and then putting lead tape under the? Well, we talked about Bonds a little bit. He was kind of like he choked up, but then he 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 would tape that enormous knob on it. Yeah, I don't know that his bat was really loaded at the time, but but we've done that. Like we've done that in our own in-house work. It's like finding the most inloaded bat you can find, and then counterbalancing the swing weight back to the center by by putting some lead tape below their hands so their bat their swing weight is is more balanced. But the bat's got some mass to it, so now they're delivering a lot more force to the ball. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I like I like that idea too. Like like giving them, but then you get down to the end of the year, you can, you can take the weight out. You can, you can give them an actual more balanced bat. And so they're able to carry their, their swing, their bat speed longer. I mean, one, one thing, one thing that comes to mind for me was every year, college baseball forever. I think this was B 
BB core and even pre BB core, everybody rolls out their new models like during regionals and supers. For sure. <laughs> Different swing weights. I'm like, yeah. what are, what are we doing? Like dance with the one you came with. Right. Like, yep. I mean, yeah, Mark oh. talked about how if you talk to a tour player, you know, if you went up to Tiger right now, if you we could get Tiger on this Zoom call, like Tiger, tell us about your driver. He would say, you know, it's got twelve ounces on the toe, it's got ten ounces on the heel, it's 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 three quarter inch thickness on the right hand, and you know, a half inch, whatever, whatever the I don't know the golf club terminology, but he could tell you exactly how his driver is dialed in. You talk to a baseball player and it's like, what's your bat? He's like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's kind of whatever. You know? <laughs> I just kind of picked one up and swung it. And, and we're talking about wood and imperfect species too, that we get to determine our model. <laughs> I would yeah. sit up at the slugger museum and just sit with those guys. And I would ask about the overlays and they were like, why? And I'm like, cause I'm just curious, man. Do I, am I swinging the right bat? Like that genuinely yeah. like resonated with me. So I mean, whether I didn't or did or didn't, I don't know. I got my name on you a model do, and it was cool, but I mean, who knows if that was really my you do that. You talked about earlier. It's like you're, you're down there in little rock and you just, you just, you know, it's Thursday and you've, you've come off an eight game road trip. You've had to sleep on the bus the night before and you're just not feeling good. <laughs> like adjust your bat that day. Like just take a different bat that day. Well, it's like the Tendo unit when I would squat. I love the Tendo because it tells you, are you moving it at the right meters per yeah. second, right? If you're not, then you're not going up. Even if you might feel strong, you're not, you know. Um, I think it I think there's a lot to that from a bat perspective. You know, you would never you would never um a pitcher would never be satisfied. It's like, yeah, I guess my fastball's down four miles an hour today. It's cool. Like, no, like your bat speed can't be down four miles an hour. Like, and if it is, then you get into the technology where you're digging, you know, you're digging and it's like, you know, are, are their legs fatigued? And, you know, you got the K-Vest, so their hip speed's really low. So they need more rest. We've talked about, we've done a lot this summer with Nick around with swing volume, like periodizing swing volume throughout the week and, and the high-low periodization of Charlie Francis, but, but applying it to hitters. You know, how much weighted bats are we taking? on Monday and then like Tuesday, how are we planning a low volume or some consolidating stress and whatnot? Yeah. And so, and we're monitoring it in track through like, we're testing like vertical pre and post vertical jump just because we don't have force plates. We've got all those tools, you know, you could test pre and post vertical jump and, and monitor fatigue and you could go down an entire rabbit hole. We've talked about recently, uh, Andrew, and you could probably do this at Georgia tech. It's like creating this, this machine learning algorithm where where you put these fatigue markers in, you put previous day swing and you put their bat speed numbers in there and then it just spits out individually for that day how many swings that guy's gonna take. Right. That's your little uh what are the wrist things people wear that tell them their recovery numbers yeah. or whatever you yeah. know, like that's there. We talked yeah. about putting whoop strap data in there um last night. Like you could you could compile all these things and like because one of the questions that I ask people, we haven't really gotten to it in this, is like integrating integrating technology to individualize each guy's like swing progressions and swing design and like drill buckets and all these other things. It's like, but if you could you could you could get fatigue in there because you know you who you know you rode the bus in Little Rock that night 
you are way fatigued and and but you're you know the guy across from you he's good for whatever reason you guys shouldn't take the same bp i mean you shouldn't you know and it's like we've we've counted on big leaders to be like no nah, i'm not taking bp today but th- but there is a real yes there is a real answer to that like we can we can arrive at a measurement of that like we do we're going to do driveline's going to do it with pitchers i mean we've been on several we've been on several track zoom calls with jeremy that he's told us like the ultimate goal for driveline or track is to become like a machine learning thing where we're you know driveline bought modus guys are wearing their modus they're integrating that into track and track is giving them on a day-to-day basis, like a throwing volume, a throwing program. These are your drills. This, this, and this, and this. And it's like different for every guy because their stress levels may be different. You know, we just don't yeah. even, as hitting coaches, we don't even like take into account like swing volume. It's like 175 swings today or 200 <laughs> swings today. Mm-hmm. So is that like, is that like the most optimal number for, each individual guy. How many? How many of those one seventy five don't pass? Like I have, like a once again, I haven't put a name on it, but it's like the eyewash to confidence percentage. You know, like what, like where am I willing to make trade offs with guys? And there's some that I'll refuse to to like let them continue going down this path with this drill, like and try to do it nice. But once you won the relationship with them, I think it's very easy to look over in the cage while I'm throwing and be like, nope. Like just stop, do less, right? Like Sarah Martin, you know, yeah. just do less. Yeah, like um, take, I'd rather you take five swings at your maximum intent than like eight or nine that are just. And and I need you to believe that when you take those five swings, you're good. Yeah, like that. Good. You need to be confident. You're good. You've taken those that don't. You don't need it. I don't care if you rolled the last one over to the second. You know, as a lefty, <laughs> like just that's fine. You got those five. You're good. That's confidence, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's where the swing sensors play a significant role in understanding, like, what is that peak for that player? Like, what's that range of swings that he optimally needs to be within so that he can kind of maintain that swing speed and acceleration? Like, I think that's, you know, really good for the swing sensor to be able to individualize a player's swing um, workload. And that's one thing that I've really been been interested in, me and Chad's been talking about, it's like, you know, like if I want to understand the effects or the relationship between not only a number of swings, but the the types of swings that a player takes daily, that relationship with um, like, you know, the some performance metric, maybe swing speed, um, then I think I need to figure out a way to, to measure that. So like something that I've been trying to do now is like, like if the overload's 39 ounces and the end load's 37 and the game's the game is 30 and the knob is 36 or whatever, then like being able to like create a calculation for that to derive at a number that I would call like workload, which is volume times intensity. Right. So, and then in using that, like just trying to find a relationship for each player. Um, like, well, we know that if he's in the 5,500 range, um, then for some reason his swing speed decreases, um, this amount. So that's one thing I've been trying to figure out here recently, how to do that. It's been fun. Um, yeah, that kind of goes back to, to where we began though. It's like, we've just, we're just scratching, I think scratching the surface on like the application of weighted bats. You know, we, we talked about, we talked about a little bit with Mark, like what bats, 
kind of elicit or encourage or facilitate specific swing qualities. And before you got on here, we talked about like you kind of run a test retest on a guy that's got, and I, this, I think I was going to say this in your window question, like, like you've got to be on time in the window, but, but you want to be like in the plane of the window too. Matching the plane of the pitch. Right. And so, so you run a test retest and what we, what we've got and what I like, and I can't get any, I can't, like like I talked to JD, I can't get anybody to build it into the to the app or, or track or anything to make it easier for us. It's just the consistency number, like like basically just an easier number to track and chart, which is a hundred minus the standard deviation to give you like so say a guy's consistency number on his attack angle is like seventy nine. In my mind, in any my consist- mind, consistency? Are you the number of swings that they're in the window that you'd want them in? Or well, you just take the standard deviation of all the swings and then just oh, right. yeah, yeah. hundred, and it gives you like a, just a nice round score. Like your consistency number is seventy nine. Obviously, the closer to hundred is the better. I like that number because there's a number in four D called the stability scores, like spinal stability, how well a guy maintains his posture as he rotates. So the closer to hundred it is, the better. So if you get a guy that's got like a low attack angle score, and we were talking about this, like like heavy heavy pivot pickoffs, like heavy pivot pickoffs is like arm patterning and consistency and elbow spiraling and all these things. It's like that heavy bat. It's like that that six ounce knob, that three ounce in, that plus nine counterbalance swing weight. That's like thirty nine ounces, or even if you want to go up higher than that, if you want a sixty ounce one. Yeah. Within constraints, I think. I think that bat encourages movement consistency because there's less degrees of freedom. We talked about, you know, there's, there's more degrees of freedom picking up this pin than there is a 300 pound bar. And as the bat gets heavier and you make it a realistic swing weight, now all of a sudden that, that they become more consistent in how they're arriving in that window and through that window. You just have to run a test retest on that, but it's like how these weighted bats, how these specific weighted bats within, you know, trainable environments encourage what swing qualities you know so mm. that, that window we talked about that a little bit before that, you came on i i was just thinking back on that question and that conversation um what do you think about the alignment stuff we do as one task constraint that could be useful for like helping players to arrive on time and also behind the plane of the pitch or in line with the pitch. It's like the, the basic, just the alignment. Yeah, kind of the vertical alignment of the bat in within the drill design. Yeah. Um, because yeah. Bat to spine, right. A, a good bat to spine score. Um, and then that, with that type of constraint would position a player in a solution that would be more side bend um, rather than something that maybe is, him like cut like more of a negative attack angle and slicing balls like he would have to side bend at a greater degree um with that type of constraint where, where he's aligned so i think so maybe, you're basically like, using blast like your your connection score like you're setting it at 90 or yeah. whatever and yeah yeah, yeah. We even do like straight up we kind of do a couple of variations of it just kind of a vertical bat angle day to like to facilitate feel of you know ball in the top of the zone kind of ball more vertical bat angle in the bottom of the zone like like just just kind of just in, limiting some degrees of freedom within a drill and then you know facilitating some some opportunities for 
for feel mm-hmm. and yeah. know, feedback and whatnot. Again, sure. you can do that. You can do that in in just the offset, pull side, offside. You know, opposite side offsets. Where again, there's a million ways to attack those drill design like i love drill design like i don't love individual drills like i love drill design and and facilitation of like getting them into buckets i mean you probably you probably won't but you probably will like like you you got some like you probably got some incoming freshmen that are just just general raw power like bat speed exit velocity buckets and then you've got some attack angle consistency guys and yep you know you've got some directional guys direction's a big thing for me like i like i like we bucket guys in uh exit velocity across the field with with like launch angle between 10 and 20 like one of the things that we see sometimes is like guys that hit that they have a good like a high exit velocity but they're low pull side and then they're kind of mid flight in the center and they kind of hit that flare the opposite way so they don't have like directional adaptability so directional adaptability is kind of one of our drill buckets where, where we drill design them into that. Um, yeah, I remember Jeff Albert talking about like lining the cages and he was funny. It was the first coach that I'd heard talk about like, you know, and not that he was discouraging hitting the driving the ball like to the opposite gap, but he was like, you want to hit the ball down oppo and pull balls, pull side. This was probably 2012 or 13. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, dang man. Cause like, Obviously, I had tried and I had good like left center juice as a lefty, but I was always like, he's kind of right though, because when I go bad, my ball flight is, uh, you know, high oppo and yeah. low pull. And when I'm yeah. really going good, I'm missing that like little six hole just line drive and I'm yanking balls fair on the foul. But pole. Is, that's an interesting thought though. Like I never, I never really thought in terms of, of that, that I, that external focus of like just try to hit the ball like, hard and just missile oppo and then because we're always trying to 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 make sure that our guys can can pull the ball because we get you know high school guys some college guys that are maybe not as good and, and like they don't have the ability to like a lot of them i don't know how many guys that you get there but they don't have the ability to drop the ball in the air with authority like well they they, the they just never been told to do it over and over again like hit the ball in the middle hit the ball in the opposite gap it's like they have no ability to hit the ball with authority between with a with a good launch angle to the pull side. Because how much did you, Chad? Like, were you a walk the dog guy? Like, start oppo and we're in yep. it. If I was feeling sexy, then I'd let it go. 100%. You know, yep. And but I think that's the acceptable way. And it's like, you know, then it's like no one no one questioned anything. It's like it's been done this way. Where this is just the way you got to do it. It's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll go oppo first, and then I'll. But I didn't. I didn't pull the ball real well as a player. Like I hammered balls right center, but I did not pull the ball well as a player. Ever, I mean, I'm sure you've probably measured it. Like there's a piece of me that, you know, I know I'm past my, my peak training days. That'd take me a while to get back to my peak, you know, swinging days, but I've kind of been genuinely interested to go back and put myself through some of the old weighted bat stuff I would do with a K vest and the blast to like figure out perceptually some of those things. Yeah. Cause I like, I'm always amazed at how I was coached, but then we all do need to know, I think feel versus real. And I could not tell you at times where some of my attack angles would be or my connection scores. And it it kind of fascinates me too of like, man, like how do you solve the guy that's chronically steep? 
Yeah. Right. I think there's some general ways and, you know, for me, I'm big on some plyos and just some different, you know, ways to get guys without, you know, that's our, uh, load depth bucket, like creating load depth, you know, and just trying to give him some space. Uh, Yeah. Interesting. For sure. I, uh, what was I going to say? I can't. Oh, I, I taught speaking of like serving at oppo and then if I'm feeling good, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at, I was at Clemson with Monty and we, we were, I don't remember what we were talking about, but he said, he said, I, I was somewhere with somebody, one coach he had maybe, or maybe they even do it now at Clemson. It's like first round, they hit pull side homers. Like they just hit pull side homers first round. And well, then they I work remember, about like the Ray Tanner, <laughs> like Ray was always big on just like, dude, get the head out. Like first swing, like just start, yeah. just go meet it. And, and, it's fascinating because who knows? Pitchers better not be out there uh, for early BP. Was that? Starting pitchers better not be out there early BP for Clemson then. Yeah, for sure. Like, like I wouldn't want to see that first round. These guys hitting bombs. Oh yeah. Well, especially nowadays we're recruiting like and we're getting a more polished physical hitter. That I mean, these guys can run balls out of the yard like crazy, and so it, it is. It pains me to see one of our guys one of the top, if not the top exit velocity consistently and has never even been told to do anything but hit like shin burners, you know? And so I'm just like, man, I want guys like that to a degree because they're going to be yeah. under recruited and under tapped. Sure. And if you can figure out and who's the numbers are real, asset. real good. Right. He's, and their he's swing looks garbage on their PG. Like it looks yeah. bad, but you know, deep down, like these swing characteristics, I can, I can train that. And that's kind of been my whole thing is like, we want guys with certain levels of polish and certain levels of upside, but where's that guy that's just going to come in and, and you almost take a flyer on a guy like that, you know? And, and I think that they're, the payoffs are huge. Oh, yeah. We talked to Deadman a little bit about that. It's like knowing what your knowing what your strengths are as a coach, like knowing and, 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 and at Miami of Ohio and Georgia tech, and they're doing a great job recruiting. But like, I also think that, the win now versus give me a freshman that I can develop. Like I think sometimes their program probably envies one like ours. And I think sometimes I'm the opposite. Like I'm like, man, it's kind of cool to go see a guy that, you know, has that one tool potential, go get him. And you know, you you know, you can like, you know, you can like, like I told Nick, Nick asked me one day, he's like, if you coach college, if you coach college, what, who would you recruit? I said, Fast guys. Like, I just want fast guys because fast guys have just always been told, hit the ball on the ground, use your speed. And I'm going to get fast guys, and we're going to hit the ball in the air, in the gaps, and we're going to stand on second a lot. Oh, and by the way, they're going to actually play really good defense. Because yeah, they're going to play amazing defense. I said that. I said, we're going we're gonna to do that, and we're going we're gonna, to – because um, Monty's got a buddy who, who's AAA manager with the Dodgers, and he said when the Astros come to town, Number one, they hit in the cage exclusively on the road, and they lock the door because they don't want anybody to see what they're doing. But he said they spent a crazy amount of time on defense. He said they worked on defense all the time. So if you're group fast guys and you work on defense all the time and then you play your strengths as a coach, it's like, number one, they get to second a lot. But from second, they can score on a lot of things that other people may not be able to score on. And it's like, I'm just trying to score runs. Like, I don't really kind of care what they hit. Where's that trade off of like, to me, I've, I've always been intrigued at, I think college, a lot of times, like you get your nine guys and those are your guys. And I've tried to like, 
from year one, like pinch hitting and pinch running and playing defense. Like if you can't trust 25 guys or 27 guys at Georgia tech, like we got to coach better than like to put guys in position where we might run four guys out in the same position. Just like, you know, why waste (laughs) a roster spot on a guy we don't want to use in some situation somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Get the guy with speed and you can always use him once a game. For sure. You use him once again, or a guy, a guy that can run a ball out of the yard and use him, every, get him 60 at-bats. Like, must, must have 60 at-bats, even as a freshman. 40 punchies, that's fine. Like, that, all you're asking him to do is run the ball out of the yard, and that's okay. And that's the fun part about assembling a roster. That's what uh, drives me a bit crazy about uh, minor league baseball, too. I mean, you, you, you win the first round, but it's like the guy – why are why do we overlook the guy in the 30th round you know you're running a business and if you can create tremendous and that's what the astros have done but if you create tremendous value of the guy in the 30th round like you can turn a 30th rounder into a into a piece that you can trade for zach grinky it's like the value of that is unbelievable Mm -hmm. so why do we just kind of always why do they get pushed off to the side you know they shouldn't they shouldn't and that's why the same kids hopefully the kids and this is what i always tell our players too and you don't have i mean this draft was <laughs> you did yeah. have more control than you thought that who you get but on a whole like i that's what i told i talked to the chart man we end up getting our guy picked by the phillies like there's no mystery to they understood how valuable he was and and honestly people you know swing and miss here i'm like dude i'm telling you lower body sequence gets better Swing and missing goes down, power goes up. And for a kid that led the dang NCAA and exit below, like that's just a fact. No. Yeah, he knows. Like they know we know how to do this. Like, yeah. Other teams, other teams, they want they want connection score, right? Because they're saying if a kid if if a kid can hit and he's barrel awareness or whatever is there, we can feed him good food. That's how we're going to spend our money. We're going to feed him. We're going to train him that guy's going to hit other organizations. Like you said, if their peak hand speeds are at X rate, they can get him flattened out. You know, whatever you decide, that's the fun part is the tough part is for the kids. The people in the silos don't agree. And that's the toughest part of some of the places I was. I think at times as you had hitting coordinator, hitting coach, scouting director, GM that weren't always in unison. Yeah. I love hearing you touch on this. Because here in my like short, brief observation of all this, I've learned that one of the most valuable thing uh, attributes you can have is the ability to, as they say, turn make mules into racehorses, and sort of know which players you can do that with and how easy it's going to be. I think the, it was the other day. I was sort of I started thinking about that. I was watching um, I was watching HGTV with my fiance. And they were looking at the fa- they're looking at foundations of the house. They're seeing, you know, how easy these fixes are going to be and where they can, what they can do with this. And they were seeing all that. And it's like in recruiting, you know, everybody sort of just goes after the guy that's already this good and already produces this output instead of trying to see what they can do with that I've, and how I've, they can work with them. On the pitching side, I've yelled about the guy who's 5'8", who's 5'7", who throws 85 or 84 that spins it at like 2,600. And vertical approach is – And the know. guys in the back, you know, and the guys in the back are holding the radar gun up. He's 5'8", and he throws 85, and they just put the radar gun up away. And I'm like, 
can I sign this guy today? Hey, we, we got spin guns for a reason, boys. Yeah. That was one of the, yep. when Burrell got here. He's like, we don't have a spin gun. I'm like, dude, I've been saying it, but I'm not, you know, now, now I'm like, you're speaking my language. I'm and we, were doing, we, were, yeah. we had a, you know, Sony, what is that? X, uh, yeah. RX, whatever. Yeah. We're, we're like slaving over slow-mo and people are laughing legitimately. D1 coaches like laughing. I'm like, dude, we're grinding because if we see something or don't see something, I just think that's the whole thing of tying a knot on. Like we're trying to be thorough. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause shoot. Yeah. For you, sure. We're going to find out real quick, man, his PG ranking does not mean a lot. <laughs> I promise you when it comes to becoming a dude, I mean, half the dudes that don't run the circuit. I mean, I never ran any of the circuit and you know, we were looking at the hitters last year in the ACC, they were first rounders. And I don't think a single one of them, went through the famous, you know, circuit of the area code to this and that. And that's a whole nother story of just youth baseball, but yeah, where it well, is, I, man, I think you framed it really well, especially earlier. You were talking about as a recruiter, it's very important to identify, to identify talent. It's very important to identify nature versus nurture. And then once you're able to identify like, okay, I know that maybe this characteristic or this skill or this tool is more attainable and actually kind of wrote my thesis on this, but it's like just interviewing major league baseball scouts on like, you know, their approach to identifying talent. I think for me, and it sounds like for you as well, I thought that was really interesting. You kind of framed it. Like, I mean, you just got to kind of figure out like what's attainable, what's not, and what's the rate of learning of that school or of that tool, if it is attainable. And what do you coach well, right? I mean, I think there's a like if you if I can if I'm an approach guy, then maybe I don't go get all guys with great approaches. And if I'm a swing guy or what you know whatever on that spectrum of ment- internal external swing hitting, I think that's another thing you got to figure out. But it goes to it goes to where you started too. Again, it's like you're just going to spend a lot of your time getting to know the guy because yeah. you're going to need to know going into it it's like is he going to be able to handle between his ears what and that, was what to do? that was something i wanted to ask too man because like as my experience as a recruiting coordinator i've had um colleagues and, and bosses and who've really had alternative views on like do you give them a whole spill on one conversation do you break it up like 15 minute sessions like I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty fluid and pretty adaptive, but I mean, I don't know if you're able to kind of answer that question. Um, but I mean, how do you like to like approach those conversations? I mean, if you are able to kind of share a little bit of that. Yeah. In terms um, of like content and timing. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I don't, I, there's probably no hard set answer for me. The biggest thing is, I think that kind of is the nature is so much nowadays is transactional of everybody's all worried about the status of how you hook kids. <laughs> and I mean, I think we've got to, it just goes back to the whole thing. Like I think our brand has a good smell around it. There's a good aura and people like people that get people better. And then, and I think that that's where I kind of let people drive things a little bit. You know, it's like, man, you guys, I, you guys have drafted this year. Did we? Yeah. Yeah, third and fifth round. Good two, those two hitters. Two hitters, yeah. When that 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 starts to, I imagine. And yeah. we had a we had a third, fourth, and seventh last year hitter, whatever it was. So you know, just in two years, you know, we've got what five and ten top ten. I mean, 
it speaks, you know? Um, but that's the thing, dude, is like, if you don't like, like for me, once again, AC player of the year, college player, their first round, like all that stuff is cool. But I mean, and it, it speaks more to my work ethic than it does trying to just check boxes. Like, cause my playing career does nothing for these guys now when I'm sitting over there, like it does nothing, you know, but it's, if nothing else, it just shows them that I wasn't, uh, you know, a PGL American and kind of made something of it and was played had a good playing career. That's what I kind of want to take away. But going back to the point, Nick, it's like, to me, it's not important to get my big three out, whatever my program or our program, like that's not as important for me as it is to figure out what they value, what they feel. And I mean, it sounds kind of, you know, I know it's different. It, it's different levels. You, you got to make sure that you're hooking a certain type or you're getting your, your, words and while you can but I think that's what I've I always don't like about the recruiting now is I would much rather our players have the microphone <laughs> leave leave go go to pro ball and talk with anyone you want unfiltered you know about your experience and I think that's what I, I know you guys because you're all seeking to to do best for your players uh that has grown got your your reputation has been built off that and so I think that's to me, the heart of have I gotten these dudes better? Have we gotten undrafted dudes drafted in the third round? Yes. Have we gotten the kid that turned down money out of high school, more money out of college? Yes. And once you start checking those boxes, you know, I think that, uh, I, you know, hoping, cause I'm, <laughs> I, you know, you hope that starts building on itself for sure. Um, yeah, that reputation is going to say a lot to those recruits. Yeah. When I think once again, dude, like I, I, I'm Mr. I love college baseball. I love the thought of playing in Omaha, but until that third deck gets into play, man, I hope we all have dreams of doing that. So I'm just hoping that I'm a good steward of your career while I've got you. And then, you know, we want to pass you along. I want you to, you know, 15 years down the road, be able to provide life-changing money. So I think that to stack up pennants of titles and conference titles, but it just, I'm part of the bigger plan. I hope, I hope that's the thing that kind of resonates. All I got to say is watch out ACC, man. That's uh, good stuff. Watch so, out. ACC. So we try to keep these to about an hour and a half. So we're a little bit over time. I got one, I got, I got one question. I haven't really asked this to anybody. You seem like a reader. You got, you got any books on your shelf that you're reading that you recommend? This is why I'm bad though. Cause I read too much at once. Like, and I'm, this is not, I'm not, I'm, I'm talking about like two pages at a time. I'm not saying I'm like Mr. Smart guy, but I, I have a, I'll finish the books, but I end up getting in two at once and two at the other. So I'm 100% like that. Let me, let me finish the books. So, you know, I've been, it's, it's been cool. Like playing with Trevor, uh, with Cleveland and then now reading about his story in a MVP machine. Like it's cool because like I was in the locker rooms and, hearing him kind of rebrand himself or, or really it was just stop caring <laughs> about his brand or whatever. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I'm reading peak right now. Mm-hmm. Um, um, let me see here. I got done. I've been looking at passion paradox, perfect practice or practice. Perfect. Essentialism was one that I read. Um, Greg McCown, McKeon, whatever it is, uh, the disciplined pursuit of less. That was one that, I don't know if it's on the bestseller list or not. I forget how I even got it, but it was, it's shaped a lot of my thinking on do less and do it better. And essentialism is, is the name of it. It's just 
you know, that was when I read probably a year or two ago. And then, you know, obviously a, a lot of the same, uh, you know, what's Tim Grover's relentless. I mean, that was, that was really? a sick read. Did you read you uh, watch the Jordan documentary? So I have <laughs> cable, don't have cable right now. So I've had to pass it on to others to record it for me. And so, uh, I'm, I'm really, really looking to, forward to watching all those at once. I need to send you my ESPN login and go at it. Yeah, I dude, that's better that. on ESPN Plus because they you can watch the unedited version on ESPN Plus, and it is, mm. it is just so funny. It is so funny. It's great though. It's really, really yeah. great. one of my that's best. Awesome. Line. One of my. I mean, you've seen it played over and over again on the internet. It's you know yeah. the leadership and talking about you know I, I push guys and you know if you don't want to play that way, you don't want want to play that way, and the price of winning and all these other things. So that's one thing that I really, really miss about coaching. You know, I really miss that pursuit. And what we've, I've talked to, you know, I deal with some young guys and, you know, I'm, I'm brutally honest with them and I push them in ways. And, and dad's like, maybe you should, maybe you should let up on them some. And I'm like, yeah, I could, but you never get to see me like tie up the end of this thing, which is on the field. I don't get to do that. Like where you become a cheerleader and you become like just the, just the basic, like, support staff on the field like yeah well they're they're the ones too i think and that's once again you got to recruit the kid that holds himself to the value system that ultimately you become the accountability partner yeah yeah i'm not yelling at you you're yelling, no. you know and I'm, I'm not a big like verbal undressing guys and stuff but like if if you demand this out of yourself and you don't run hard yeah. at first i'm not yelling like that's not me this that's, is the, that's the way the i version. go like if you don't yeah. love it i'm not gonna make you love it like yeah you told me in this clubhouse that we wanted to win this and we wanted to value showing up on time. I'm not on you for wearing the wrong shirt. You're, you know, you as a team are the ones that decided this is what we value. So now I'm just, I'm the guy that's not afraid to, to go and get us where we need to go. Yeah. So, yeah. well, dude, I appreciate your time. Um, we may do it again if we've got some yeah. time. Yeah, I'll be following up too, man. I got some really good stuff from all you guys. I mean, the foundation yeah. point, man. Let's find the foundation. Yeah. You know, yeah. they got a good foundation. We can, we can, you know, build up whatever we need to. Digging, just keep digging. Nick, you got anything else? Man, I mean, some great stuff, man. This has been awesome. I've enjoyed it. Um, I, uh, I'll ask one more question. One of the questions I had was about the books you're reading, but what about people? What are some of the p- other people that you're really connected to maybe outside of Georgia tech? Um, maybe that you're consistently in contact with that are, that's providing some professional development for you. Yeah. I mean, O-Chart's been awesome. Just uh, always kind of willing to lend a hand. And, and, and that's the thing too, like when you know, everybody's busy and, and guys are cool like this, like it's a text here. And if it's four days later, I don't get mad. You know, like I always tell people, dude, emphasize a text. If I don't get back to you, like it does not bother me 1%. Like I'm on this. Yo guys all the time. Some of our, some of our pro guys that are throwing bullpens right now and they want their rap soda reports. I'm like, so I got to drive home and I got to download this thing. Send me a message later. If I don't respond and you don't have it by in the morning, send me another message in the morning. He's like, they're like, you sure? I'm like, yes, totally. Yeah. For sure. No, finding guys like that is huge. Um, You know, for me, I mean, I could list so many, but it's just like, almost every organization I played with, whether it was guys that like, there were players in it or, I mean, like Devin Travis was my roommate uh, at Florida state and, you know, went on to have unreal career battling back some injuries right now. I just stay locked into that dude. Cause he was with Tulo 
and Russell Martin, Donaldson, Bautista, and Cardacion for three years in Toronto. And the number of stories, I mean, and just the work ethic and different ways to do things. I mean, just staying kind of tied into guys like that, I feel like. And then Monty, man. Monty and I had breakfast at ABCA and so counter ACC. I mean, dude, like Monty's a great dude. And, and dude, he sent me a – I tell the story. You know, here I am, just a, just a small town guy from Virginia talking about weighted bats on the internet. And he sends me like a DM one night, like on Twitter. It's like, hey, man, I'd love to talk to you about weighted bats. And I'm like, wait a minute. This guy wants to talk to me about weighted bats. And then we've kind of sparked a friendship up from that. But it's like he reached out to nobody. You know, that's kind of how he is, though. Like, he just wants what's best for players, and he's not afraid to, like – Well, he knows you're them. smart, and he's done enough research peripherally or on the surface to know, you know what? I know what I don't know, or I know what I think I know, yeah, but I want to know better. Sure. I think I think that that's kind of, Nick, my whole – maybe that's my tying point, too, is, like, guys are so good about it, I think, from the major leagues down, and the guys that aren't, <laughs> you don't – like, good, man, please get big league because you don't want to spend the time – yeah. talking to a mirror either i mean i think that's the thing that there's a lot of you get invited to a zoom and you feel like you're talking you know i mean that's to me yeah. get out of those too like if yeah. you feel like, I, I, say no. I say no a lot you I, only are I, able to follow four or five i think titans in the hitting industry and yeah. i think chad is one and so i only have so many like oh chart i follow like i'm for sure all these good people because I just don't want to dilute. A lot of them are gone. That's the thing that sucks. Like Jerry Brewer is gone. Like you, you can't even. His website's in Jer, Dustin Lynn's Google Drive. Right, like right. Jerry Brewer's website was so good. Like it was so good. Um. All right, man. I appreciate your time, fellas. Appreciate it. Definitely yeah, stay awesome. in touch, and uh, we will definitely. I, I need to come to Atlanta. I, you know. Easy flights, man. No, dude, that's not far. It's not a far drive for me. It's it's. I, I can be in Atlanta faster than I can be in my own state capital. So it's not far for me. I'm like four four from Clinton. Oh shoot, man. Yeah, that's yeah. five and a half to here. Then yeah, yeah like I'm not far. I'd go through Chattanooga and be there in no time. Thanks. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get all this madness cleared up in the fall. We'll get it. We'll get a direction on what we're doing in the fall, and I can I can just go down there. Yeah, let's make it happen, fellas. I would love to see these tools. <laughs> oh, dude, I need I need help, man. You know, yeah, I need it, it takes a, it takes a village. So, sure. um, definitely looking forward to it. All right, man. Appreciate your time. All right, fellas. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks. Y'all a lot. take care. All right. See you, man.